This is episode 161 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 161 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Axel Mont-Saint-Jean on the show, and this is a very special episode because it's the first guest we've had on to talk about Montreal real estate investing. I know Jared Henderson's been doing a little bit of stuff there, but Axel is specific to Montreal. He talks about his story, how he transferred uh, over from doing the professional corporate world to working in real estate full time. Um, We talked about just about everything in this episode from buying multifamilies and doing burrs to buying apartments to doing developments and as well as the landlord tenant relationship in Quebec and uh, what that process looks like, how it is to get tenants out when they don't pay, things like that. Things that are relevant to real estate investors that we don't often get to talk about regarding Montreal and Quebec specifically. So if you've been considering investing in that market, I'm confident you're going to enjoy this episode. And Axel is a wealth of knowledge all the same. Uh, Even if you just want to take some of what you've learned from this episode and apply it to where you're investing, I'm confident you'll get something out of it. Before we get into today's podcast episode, I'm having a very special webinar that is happening on Wednesday the 9th, and I'm having a lawyer on specifically to take Q&A about joint ventures. So if if you've wanted to get in some questions to a lawyer that specifically works with investors and does a lot of joint venture agreements, you're not going to want to miss this one. So it's Wednesday, March 9th at 7 p.m. Please make sure that you follow the link in the description of this video to register because the spots will fill up very quickly. The details are in the description below, so please take a moment now and make sure that you register. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get into today's episode with Axel Mont-Saint-Jean. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Axel Mont-Saint-Jean, and I know I didn't say that perfectly, but it's my uh, my best attempt for now. Thanks for coming oh, on the show. Uh, that was pretty good, man. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You know what? This is a rarity because we don't often get people from Montreal. As I understand it, you're from Montreal. That's correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I'm excited uh, to have this conversation with you and and hear from a real live Montreal real estate investor what you're up to. Um, so if you don't mind, uh, if you if you could just kind of start off by telling me what you're up to in real estate and then give me a little bit of the backstory about how you got there, I'd really appreciate it. Sure, sure. It's Well, it's actually pretty straightforward. I mean, about four years ago, I got really tired of the uh, the corporate world. I was uh, working before that in a manufact- for a manufacturing company in the supply chain management and logistics. And I just always felt like I could, I had more to offer. I could do more. And I was kind of sick and tired of trying to pull good stunts for other people, basically. And so when I, our, our first child was born, he's now four years old, um, I tr- slowly transitioned. I did a bit of consulting work. Um, took some mandates for six months periods for uh, for small companies, and then already at the time, we were interested with my wife in real estate, and uh, we owned a, a, another a rental unit at that time. And then uh, that's when I went full on uh, into into multifamily, looking for our first property, and I kind of took it from there. And now we've been able to build a little portfolio. We've been doing most of it ourselves, not the renovations or anything. But I mean, we're a, a two people a two people show. Now we've actually added one uh, one staff member. And uh, we've just been growing ever since. What what type of properties are in this portfolio? You, you said you started off with, uh, was it a single family? Yeah, it was a condo. It was a condo unit okay. uh, that my wife had bought fairly fairly early on. And then when we uh, got together, like we moved in together. And okay. then, uh, so that one was uh, was was rented. We okay. ended up actually buying another another duplex that we live in right now that we converted into a single family. 
Then we bought yeah. another condo. It's actually a funny story, but when we bought our duplex across the street was a, a fast food chain that I will not name, but happens to make crispy chicken. And we really didn't like it. And we always thought that's an urban anomaly. One day it's going to go. And then like a year later, it was uh, it was torn down and they built a, a nice 12 unit uh, building. And we ended up buying another condo in there because we thought like, hey, if we'd have a rental, it'd be so easy to manage if it's across the street. So um, and then, so we added two, so we added this unit and then we bought a, a five unit um, in uh, Lachine. Um, it's a neighborhood in, uh, mm-hmm. in the eastern, western part of Montreal, sorry. And then we added another five unit, and now another duplex that we are adding, that we're transforming into a five unit. We're adding a floor and a mezzanine. Now we're adding another, we're purchasing another one. Actually, we're going to the notary next week for a four unit. And lately, we just put another piece of land under contract to build an 18. So there's quite a bit in the pipeline. Wow, you're on to a lot of different stuff. Okay, so starting off, who's involved in these projects? Is it you, you and your wife, or do you have other partners as well? Okay, so from a financial standpoint, it's my wife and I. It's just on the first five unit that we bought, we have a partner for 50%. That was the one in Lachine? Yeah. Do you have other five units as well? Like you said, you had another duplex that you took to a five unit. Yeah. So we have another du- another five unit. Sorry, and this one it's just us. Okay. And so, and when I say us, it's my wife and I. We're partners okay. and yeah. partner partners in life and partners in investment. That makes and sense. Then, um, the other ones, it's just us for now. Other than the uh, the land development that we're going to take on some uh, some financial partners because we just can't finance it ourselves. What is it that you were doing? You said, just refresh me, that you were doing for full-time gig before you switched gears. Yeah. So I was working for a manufacturing company in uh, okay. pulp and paper, and okay. I was responsible for logistics and supply chain. Okay. How did you transition out of that? I know you said you transitioned away for it, from it. Walk me through how that worked. So w- what happened is that, again, like I always felt like I could do more, and I just kept seeing opportunities everywhere, but I was in a nine to five job. And so it's kind of difficult to be able to just focus on actually going the entrepreneur route. If if you're in, in a full-time job, you can do side gigs, you can do hustle and stuff like that. But at some point, if you really believe in it, you have to take a chance, you have to take a risk. And so the the the, the deal that we made with my wife was that she would stay on as a, as as you know full full time. She's a, she's a tax lawyer, and she would work full time. And essentially, like she would earn the money, and I would go and spend it and invest. And so <laughs> you know, it's kind of a funny way to put it, but yeah. Um, and the deal is that I will you know as much as possible try to support with with home and the kids and and stuff like that because I obviously had more flexibility in my schedule. Right. Okay. That that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, when you were acquiring these, were these like that typical burr process? I'm sure you're familiar with that terminology. Um, is that typically what you're trying to do? You're taking money and recycling it by going and renovating and refinancing? Yeah. Yeah. That's what we did. Other than the condos that are now rented and we'll yeah. refinance them eventually, but we're pulling pretty good cash flow from now. The other two five unit buildings that we've done, yes, they've been straight burrs. The first okay. one took us about 18 months from notary to notary to do the, the refinance. And then the second one, we're actually just in it right now. And it, it will have taken us about a year. So you only need to go to a notary. You don't need to go to a lawyer to close these transactions. 
Nope, notary can can do it. We, well, these days, like sometimes you go once or you go twice, just the first the first time to assign the financing, okay. and then uh, either right away or a couple days later, which is right now the case. Once everything has been uh, registered, then you can go and sign your your deed. Okay. Yeah, that, that's um, that's something we should probably dig into. We'll dig into more of your portfolio, but I mean, you bought some five plexes. Obviously, you probably had to deal with some some interesting tenants that you acquired. Um, what's the process like there? If for you know people who are aspiring to maybe look at the Montreal market uh, as investors, like what should they expect in terms of you know landlord tenant relations and requirements restrictions? Okay, well, and you you bring up a very good point. Like I don't know how it's been lately in Ontario, but here in Quebec, we've had a lot of um, talk in the media about renovations, and it's really the you know when people acquire buildings and they at any cost will try to do anything to get the tenants out. And I my tenants are my clients. They 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 pay for this. We we have a transaction every month. They happen to live in a place and they pay me for it. And so I do the, my best to treat tenants the way I would like my grandmother to be treated, my aunt or my sister or my cousin. That's number one. Number two, the reality is that, yeah, as investors, like we are able to build a lot of value when we're able to rotate tenants and do some value add, renovate a kitchen, renovate a bathroom, increase the rent by a couple hundred bucks and so on and so forth. Now, luckily in our case, like in the first five unit that we bought, uh, all of them were rented. And then within the first three months, three of them left. And one of them, she was just, it was a semi-basement. She was very unhappy with her son over there. The place hadn't been maintained, a lot of deferred maintenance. And she just Mm -hmm. said, you know, I'm out of here. So, you know, thank you. The number two, there was actually one, one guy wasn't really paying his, paying his rent on time. And there's actually a, a, a case against him. He lost. And so it's just that the previous owner never enacted it. So I just went to him and reminded him and said, look, you know, leave whenever you want. Basically, it took him two months and he was gone. And then the third one had made a point that he wanted to leave to go uh, in British Columbia. And uh, he was really concerned about breaking his lease. And I said, I'm going to make it easy for you. Just give me a month's notice. You can go at any time. And uh, and so in that case, it worked out. And then the other two tenants, we still have now, actually, about two, two and a half years later. And mm-hmm. they're still there. The rent is obviously below market. But hey, it is what it is. It's part of the game. Yeah. And and I treat them well, and I will give them a Christmas present uh, next week. So, yeah. Oh, you're a nice landlord. Do you mind if we work work through some of these numbers on that building? Sure. Kind of like go sure. through a little case study? Yeah. Um, that particular building that you're speaking of, was that the first fiveplex or the second one that you bought? That's the first fiveplex. And I can run you yeah. through the numbers because both sure. of them were pretty much at the refi process. The first one, yeah. it was, it was so it's May 2019. So before the, the big mm-hmm. increase due to, due to everything that we know that happened. So mm-hmm. we basically found it, it, it's in a C, C neighborhood. Um, it was a five unit for 490, which was a pretty good deal. They were asking like just... It. It, yeah, they were asking 500 and the, the unit mix was three one-bedroom apartments and two two-bedrooms. Okay. And right away when we visited, I saw that there was a lot of opportunity because the, the property is actually a triplex, a little courtyard, and a duplex in the back. And in both okay. cases, in the semi-basement, there is a lot of unused space. And so right away, we thought like, okay... You know, let's take the hot water tanks, let's regroup them, and we can transform a one-bedroom into a two-bedroom because there is two windows in a technical room, which made no sense. So we we, we took that to... Uh, so we transform a semi-basement into a nice two-bedroom, and then same thing in the back. 
We took the, the, the ground floor, we added a staircase, we added a big bedroom in the, in the semi-basement. It had two windows. Uh, everything is legal in terms of, you know, code and uh, permits and stuff like that. Um, and so we were able to actually increase the rents, the total yearly revenue from 32,000 to 52,000. And so we bought for 490. We put about 120 into it. We were able to refinance a year later. It appraised at just over 800. And then, okay. so then we were able to refinance, get all of our money back plus some. And then we just took that money and just rolled it forward. How much, uh, how much did you say you put into it as far as Renault's go? About 120,000. 120? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it looks like you, did you get 80% on your refinance? 85. 85. Oh, so you went through CMHC? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So you got an 800 value and you got 85% of that. Yeah. And so our loan, when we signed with, with the, uh, the, the CMHC premium, I think it was like <laughs> 710 or 720. And uh, we've been able to, obviously we're sustaining the debt where yeah. it's, it's actually going super well. Yeah. And but, so on this property, we had yeah. a partner for 50%. So we've been able to give this partner all of its money, back, all of his money back, uh, plus some, and then we share yeah. on, the, uh, on the increase. Well, it looks like you took out $70,000. So you got everything back plus $70,000. So those are the kind of deals you got to love. Um, okay. So you said you got it up to 52,000 a year, which is, is about 43, 33 a month. Mm -hmm. Um, what would your property taxes look like on that property? Oh, it's about like 3,800, I think. I don't know the exact number. It actually went down a little bit last year. Okay. Um, I've never heard of that anywhere else. (laughs) I know, you know what? It was surprising. Um, cause I compared when I was doing my rent increase, I went back in my old file. I'm like, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. And it yeah. actually gone down by like 200 bucks or something. Okay. And what, what would your insurance um, be on that property? Insurance skyrocketed. We were at about two grand a month. And I think now we're, we're like 45. So obviously like there is the increase in value, uh, but it's also that as all your listeners know, like insurance premiums have exploded lately. So 4,500 per year? Yes. Okay. Um, maintenance wise, it's an older building. What do you typically budget? We budget. So we're going with the, uh, the CMHC uh, normalization. So I believe it's 500 bucks a month maintenance per unit. It's uh, three or 400 po- for uh, management. And um, what am I missing? And administration is about three or 400 bucks a unit. We do some of it ourselves. Um, we kind of have split and I have someone who takes care of, uh, who takes care of the tenants and the communication and all the, the, the small fixes. So it's been, um, yeah, it's been pretty good. Okay. Well, I've just got, so you said it, they, they budget $500 a year per unit. Mm-hmm. So you do 2,500 a year. Mm-hmm. So that's around 5%. We can, we can leave that in there. I'm mm-hmm. a little more conservative cause I like to build in life cycle. So if you build in yeah. life cycle, you can go with 10. Um, yeah. okay. Utilities. What are you paying there? Uh, we have almost not, well, we have, we have one meter that we pay for. And I think it's about like 600 bucks a month, uh, a year, sorry. 600 a year. Yeah. 600 a year. And we also provide Wi-Fi. Actually, that's a little bit with the, the Wi-Fi is I think nine, $90 a month. Okay. So 90 times 12. Interesting. Wi-Fi. Um, is that common in Montreal that people provide it's, it? It's actually very common. And so this was the first time that I had implemented it and I, I provide internet for three units. And then on the, in the other project that we did, we actually went full on. We did a 
a, a really good installation. It was about 4,000, but it allowed us to increase every rent by $60 a month. Very cool. I never even did that on my student rentals. And that's one of the ones where you would arguably say it makes sense oh, to do. It makes so much sense to do. I would, mm-hmm. I highly, highly in, encourage everyone to do it. And the thing for multiple reasons, can we take a minute to talk about sure, it? Sure. By all means. Okay. What I find is that if you're going to have tenants and a little bit of turnover, I don't want to deal with the different companies that come and that do holes everywhere and do a different installation every time and stuff yep. like that. And so I provide, I provide it. It allows me to increase the rent. And with the new installation that we did, it, there's a, there's a switch. So I have, I pay for one line and then it splits into all five. Yeah. And all, if, if something bugs, the tenant doesn't call me. They call the company directly. I'm not responsible yeah. for anything other than paying the bill. Right. So I, I just find from a, a value add standpoint, it's actually really worth it for the numbers. Well, and it makes a lot of sense with a fiveplex because if they each hire their own install, they're each going to get you know a ninety dollar a month bill versus you can do ninety for the whole building and get something that's blazing fast. Hopefully, I mean yeah. maybe you pay a bit more if you got to get you know the next package up, but that way everybody's mm-hmm. happy and they'll probably realize the value. Oh, he covers internet. That's worth at least yeah. fifty, sixty bucks. So then you yeah. can charge more. Yeah, and, and the thing is that you. Um, in terms of utilities, I have some units for which I also pay for electricity, but they're higher end, all included, high end condo and stuff. And the, and my clientele is more people who come into town for three to six months, so that's different. Right. But for me, Wi Fi is now just a very basic utility. Everyone has it. Everyone wants it. Why not? Why not provide right. it, knowing that you can make it a bit of margin and actually increase your revenue. That, that's the part that's interesting to me. Heck, you could even advertise it at one price. And if they didn't want to take it, like if they know it costs 90 and you offer, Hey, I have really fast stuff and you only pay me 50 extra. They would just yeah. say, Oh yeah, absolutely. I'll pay you the 50 and, and take your internet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's really cool. I, I can see a lot of opportunity there. Uh, do you pay management or do you self-manage? I self-manage. I actually pay for it a little bit. It's just that I have someone um, that, that does it for me, but it's not a formalized, uh, it's not a formalized contract. Okay. So what, what type of obligation are you getting into for those expenses on an annual basis? Uh, whenever there is, if, if I understand the correction correctly, like whenever we, we have a bit of turnover, whenever we have a, a new tenant coming in, this person will be doing the posting, the visits, the screening, oh, okay. and then I just kind of validate. I'll go through the application, ask a few questions, yeah. and, then, and then go from there. So, so I, you're I paying it. leasing fees, not management. Correct. Yeah. correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So leasing, are you paying like a half month's rent every time? Yeah, about that. Okay. So what, what do we want to budget for that? Um, would you say you get into about $2,000 a year? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I wouldn't even say half month rent. Like last time I, I think you gave him $200. Oh, really? Okay. So, so minimal, like a thousand bucks a year for that? Yeah. Not even. Not oh, even. wow. You're getting a not great even. deal. All right. Yeah. But also this person also gets uh, plenty of other benefits in another way. So. Okay. Yeah. Um landscaping snow removal are you paying for that i'm paying for 150 dollars of sorry 300 dollars a season of snow removal that's a good deal and no landscaping no grass cutting okay so 300 for that and then i i usually like to just throw 500 dollars in for miscellaneous but is there anything else you're paying for on that site no, I mean I'll do a little Christmas present uh, this year, but so that'll be in the miscellaneous. That'll, that's yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah, I know that's about it. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So you you got uh, eight hundred dollar value. You got eighty five percent financing. Uh, so thirty year amortization. Yeah. 
And what was your interest rate? Oh man, that's a good question. I should like, know this off the top. I think it was at one seventy nine. That's amazing. That's one. That's one awesome rate. Okay, so so at one point seven nine, you're twenty four forty in monthly payment, which leaves you five hundred and seventeen uh, according to this cash flow calculation mm-hmm. a month. That's not bad. You add a few mm-hmm. like a few of those to your portfolio every year, and uh, it's a really good wealth builder. Yeah. And the thing is, the neighborhood has been changing. Obviously, like you can't cap, you you can't capture the appreciation until disposition. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's it's been increasing in value. The neighborhood's been cleaning up, mm-hmm. um, and so when we took a bit of a chance, I mean, that's all also why we got the property for fairly cheap. But there is, um, yeah, it, it, as a first deal, we're pretty happy with it. Okay, yeah, I mean, it seems like an awesome deal. Mm-hmm. Um, it, if you were to try and buy that same building again today, what do you think you'd have to pay? Right now, I'd say about $825,850. Pre-renovation? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So things have just exploded in terms of the market there. Yeah. So inevitably, not everything's going to go perfect and you are going to run into some tenants that uh, that you don't uh, necessarily uh, gel with. Now, if that were to happen and you did need to evict somebody for non-payment, what's it like in the province of Quebec to, to be able to do that? It's, uh, it takes two months um, legally here. So after the third of the month, and this is what I remember. I'm not a lawyer. Anyone, everyone is invited to go check. But right. what I recall is that past the third of the month, they're considered late and you can not- you notify them. And then past the 24th or the 25th day of the month, you can open your claim for non-payment. It usually takes about two months. And it's very clear. Like Non-payment issues are about 80% of uh, the cases that are heard by la régie du logement which is now called the tribunal administratif du logement the the yeah anyways mm-hmm. and it's it takes about 2 months and as long as you show correct the correct information and that your case is properly put together like it's a it's a I don't want to say a straight win this is that you will yeah you will be able to evict them now can they bring it up to date the, you know when on on the last day, last hour, can can they make the payment and and then stay? <clears throat> yes, so yes. Sim- it, it's never happened to me, but I know people that yeah. who has happened, and people have been able to drag it or like do a partial payment, which is even worse. Yeah, so it's tough. Okay, so it's similar to Ontario in that regard. And um, what are the restrictions in terms of increasing rents annually? So there is um, a barem. There is essentially a worksheet that's provided by by the uh, by the by the, by the tribunal administratif du logement. You need to put in all of your information this year's and last year's, and then there's a. It's basically like two and a half percent, something like that. Okay. Well, hey, that's better than Ontario got. I think we're like one point two or something for yeah, this yeah, year. It did- Exactly. It depends from year to year. And it's, you know, well, you know, the reality better than anyone. It's, uh, it, it makes it tough. And that's why tenants are to be taken care of, whether they're good and bad. It's just, you have to respect people and you have to respect the law. Um, and no wonder, like sometimes people try to use strategies that might be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, of course. And I think at the end of the day, like I just got into this in my last interview, it's all people and people. You have to understand that you're dealing with people and treat them like you said before, you know, treat them with respect and dignity and, and uh, don't try and mislead them. I know people when they're early on, they'll try all kinds of tactics like that. And it just, you just shoot yourself in the foot, just be straight shooter with people, Mm -hmm. be clear with them. 
uh, if they see that you're honest with them, they'll, they'll probably be reasonable with you. Yeah. Yeah. But if they feel like you're being shifty or doing weird things, then that's where you get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And, and, and going in that direction, you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Real estate is a people business. Mm-hmm. You, we, as much as we're buying brick, we're always dealing with people, whether it's financing, whether it's closing, whether it's your tenants, mm-hmm. your, your contractors, and so on. And one thing I've really seen is that honesty pays. Mm-hmm. And there's two things I, I want to mention. One, um, lately, as I said here, we've heard a lot about renovations and people using shifty tactics. And these people might have gotten away with it for like a year, two years, three years, but then it catches up to them and they pay a much, much bigger price. Mm-hmm. And as, as an example, in the second five unit that we actually renovated this year, um, I had one tenant that I had to really negotiate with. And I was just really straightforward with him and said, look, your unit is the one in the worst shape. You shared with me that you're at a moment in your life where you're almost going to retire. I honestly know that you can do better than this place. Um, it was it was kind of dark. It, the place needed renovation. He was not very happy there. And we negotiated. I ended up giving him, I think, about eight months of rent. And uh, for him, it was a big deal to move. So I said, I will organize the truck. I will bring you boxes. You tell me where you want to go. I will pay for everything. And he was very happy. And we, you know, we had a good handshake and, and everything. And the irony of that is that one of his friends came to help him move. And the gentleman, we started talking, um, very well educated, also a real estate investor. He's now retired. And he told, he kind of took me outside and said, Oh, yeah, you know, uh, he told me, uh, what you gave him in terms of compensation and stuff. And I just want to say, like, it's very, um, I don't remember exactly the word he used, but you know, not, it was very nice of you. Like it's very respectable. And um, my number still makes sense, even though I paid him $4,000. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's all good. And it's, it's also goodwill. And I, I'm a strong believer in karma and mm-hmm. be good to others and good things will happen to you. Yeah. Well, I could definitely see that in the way you speak and, and uh, I agree. And I've operated similarly, right. A lot with the putting this podcast out there and, and, you know, certainly how I deal with my tenants and um, not to say I haven't you know made mistakes. I think we all have. And you just kind of realize, Hey, I don't want to do business that way. I want to do business completely transparent, as clear as I can be with everybody. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And I agree with you. Just good things come of it. Right. It doesn't mean you need to monetize or know how you're going to monetize in every single instance. You just, you just keep doing business that way and good things happen. Mm-hmm. Not to say you don't need to take action because you do, but uh, yeah. that's the other piece, the other piece of it. <laughs> um, okay. So you, you had mentioned that you're also now getting your hands in development, which I see as, as a different skill set. I mean, it's related, but it's a very specific process. And I'm just curious if you can enlighten me as to what brought that about, um, what your level of understanding is and what kind of expertise and help you're using in this process. Absolutely. It's a very good question. So um, it's a bit scary because it's, it's bigger projects, it's bigger amounts and so on. Uh, basically what happened in this case is that uh, someone I work with, a bird dog, found uh, found a property that wasn't for sale, but that kind of looked abandoned. And it was it was a small four units surrounded by a much larger multifamily. And so he, mm-hmm. in the prospection, like spoke to the owner and said, "Yeah, I would sell. I mean, you know, if you bring me an offer, that makes sense." And so on and so forth. And so we we are now under contract. We're in the due diligence, and I it will be our first new build. Mm-hmm. It's it's well, yes, it's scary. 
But at the same time, the reward is going to be there because the value is really interesting. And I want to, I want to use this project as a learning experience because there are so many people that you need to bring on. I don't have the skill set to do it all. And that's why I'm bringing people who do. For example, I work with someone really, really knowledgeable when it comes to the financing. So right away when we got the land under contract said, Hey, here's what we have. What could we do? How could we finance it? Tell me all the options. And then I work with someone else who's done a lot of commercial development and he's got a very strong financial background. And so he helped us build the model. And so surrounding ourselves with knowledge of people that are way more knowledgeable who've yeah. done it before strongly helps. And then also like, okay, let's start talking to contractors. Like, let's start to yeah. get bids. If we want to build this, what would it take? How long is it going to take? And so on. So it's really about you know, be, being being in the middle and being the running yeah. the orchestra, but everyone else plays the music. So, and none of these people are financial partners on this on this deal. No, no, they're all just people that you have in your network. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so, they're getting paid. They're getting paid for it. Okay. So but, you're putting them in consultancy roles. Correct. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that was the key part, right? Because anyone who tries to go into development blind with no experience is like just asking for a disaster. <laughs> yes. So that's yeah, you you want to pay experts for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, parcel of land, how big is it roughly? It's uh, seven hundred and fifty square meters, so it roughly times that by ten in uh, in square feet. It's yeah. just one long rectangle. It's not okay. particularly wide. Uh, and as I said, it's a, it's an ugly fourplex. We actually did the run through today, the walkthrough. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's been squatted. Like, there's holes in the walls. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. complete teardown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've seen properties like that. <laughs> um, okay. So between that's always a good sign. If you, if you spot a lot between a bunch of multifamilies. Uh, my experience with with zoning and development is is that uh, planning likes that they want to they want to intensify in one area. So if you already have tall buildings all around, they're more likely to say yes, you can do that here, and your zoning's more likely to be appropriate too. Yeah. So was your zoning already appropriate there to do what you wanted to do? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. All. All the things we check even before making an offer. Right. And over there, we can obviously we can do four floors right now. There's two. Okay. Uh, and and um, very important is that there is no restrictions regarding the number of units. Well, I was so going to ask as- that. What about floor area? Any restriction on that? No. No. So no density restriction at all, as much as you can fit within the setbacks. So you have to maintain no. your setbacks. Do you have a parking requirement per unit that you have to achieve? So uh, I'm so glad you asked that question. We used to, and the origin, there are some plans that we have that date back from 2019. But since then the regulation has changed and we had seven indoor parking spot and we can now entirely get rid of them because the city is trying to discourage the use of car. So we can actually add two more units in semi-basement. So it's still in the talks, whether we're going to mm-hmm. maybe keep a few, uh, but for sure we're getting rid, getting rid of at least an entire section. How many units do you feel that you can achieve reasonably? 18. So 18 units. And, and would there be a market with no parking? Like are people content with that? Yeah, I mean, so you, you can you can park on the streets very easily, mm-hmm. um, and then it's located in between two streets that have a, a lot of public transportation buses that go to the yeah. metro, um, and so that's why we're going to see if maybe we could add a bit of um, outdoor parking on the side. Um, it's still to be debated, and that's one of the conversations yeah. that we're having right now with the architect. What did you pay for the uh, the actual parcel of land? We have an offer. 
I'm kind of reluctant to share because we're in due okay. diligence. Oh no, no. Uh, if you have if you haven't done it yet, that's fine. So you haven't you haven't firmed up yet. Okay, no, we so haven't closed. Just, okay, but it, is it a firm deal? Like you are going to be closing 100 percent certain. I mean, if everything checks out in the due diligence okay. and so on, yeah. And uh, our closing was yeah. supposed to be uh, by the end of uh, May 2022. Uh, so okay. that leaves us some time. And part of the, the negotiation with the uh, seller is that he's going to be responsible for the demolition. Ooh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So did he ever initiate this process himself? Did he ever try and develop it? Yeah, he did. He he has a construction company that does a lot of public works. And he does that on his spare time. He's developed like other six units, eight units. Uh, project and this one he bought from a gentleman that he knew he wanted to start in 29 end of 2019 it got delayed and then the the pandemic happened and so on and that's why he said like it's not particularly for sale if we can find an agreement i'll sell it to you because i have other projects Mm -hmm. and so because he already has a company that's able to do it that's why he's responsible for the demolition because he's got excavators he's got dump trucks and stuff like that so that's also Mm -hmm. what we worked out in the offer Okay, so you take care of it. Um, he'll get the permit for that, and then and then get rid of it. Yeah. Um, why didn't he like you're you're just saying because he had other things going on. He was willing to to part with it if you gave him a price that made sense. Yeah. So you gave him a price that makes sense. Made sense. Did what you come up came up with the seventeen or or whatever? I think you said seventeen units. Um, did he have that in mind, or did he think less? No, so he gave us the plans that were. Oh, done he gave it to you. He gave it to so us. So he had already done a lot of the the initial work. Did yeah, but they're preliminary plans, and the permit hasn't been issued. But he claims to have gotten a verbal agreement from the city. So a pre consultation. So he exactly. had done that. Did they tell him what they were going to need, like engineering wise, like yes. what what they were going to require, noise study? Do you have yeah. to do like a shadow study and traffic study and all that stuff? So no shadow study, but um, uh, for the for, is, for, about, about the ground, if it's uh, stable or not. Um, so you're, you're going to have to do boreholes, boreholes, yeah. environmental. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So they'll do compaction and environmental probably together in the same boreholes. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. That's so you, you have a few unknowns there then you don't mm-hmm. necessarily know because the boreholes have not been done yet. No. Okay. And are you planning to do that before you close? Is that part of your, part of your due diligence? Yes. So you're going to do all those studies, probably invest what a hundred thousand dollars doing all your studies. Oh, wait, no, way less than that. The environmental is about five k, and then okay. the ground is about fifteen. Fifteen? Okay, so you're twenty twenty grand. Yeah, yeah. so I don't know where I'm getting a hundred. Uh, so no noise study, no shadow. Don't have to do that. Don't have to do traffic. Okay, no. so you're no. you're much less. Yeah. Okay, and no character study. What's characters like heritage character? They don't, they're not. Oh, sorry. So no, this building to be demolished is, is not heritage. It's it's nothing. And and they don't want you to blend your, so sometimes I've had to do this before. I had to do a neighborhood character study. They wanted me to look at all the other houses and make sure that mine, my design matched with all the other houses, like fit in. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's like interior design, but for your neighborhood. (laughs) Yeah. But for the outside. So no. And, and that's where, um, we, because we're going to be updating the plans from 14 to 18 units, we're going yeah. to go back to the city to get a, a, a mm-hmm. pre-assessment. And it's at that stage that usually if they want to make mm-hmm. a few, if they want us to make a few changes, they'll let us know, but right. it's, it's rather straightforward. Okay. So you're risking minimal here, 20 grand to see if this works. Um, do you have like, I don't, you may not want to share specifics, but maybe you can give me a ballpark of, mm-hmm. of what you think the potential is kind of low to high in terms of a profitability on a project like this. So that's the thing. Like, actually, today we went to do the uh, the evaluation um, for the for the, the the property as it is, 
uh, it's going to depend a lot on what the evaluation comes back at. Okay. Now, with the model that we ran in terms of development fee and profitability, we were about at seven, eight percent, which is pretty mm. low. Usually, like if it's below 10, like forget about it. Okay. The thing is that, and it's also going to depend on how we structure it because. Some investors are not interested in, in, in with such a low number. I'm building a portfolio. I'm investing for the next 30 years. Mm-hmm. 10 years from now, am I going to be making money? Absolutely. Yeah. Will, will I regret doing it 10 years from now? Absolutely not. So, yeah. you know, at some point, you've got to start somewhere. So this is a keeper. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Like you're, you're not yeah. planning to sell it. But if you were to sell it, you'd be a 7 to 10% profitability. Yeah. Um, and that's out of all your costs, like total cost of project, including acquisition. Correct. And it's also like, and this is where the evaluate the evaluation, excuse me, is really important mm-hmm. because we're obviously predicting what yeah. rental rates on a square foot basis are going to be 18 months to two years from now. Right. And so they've been going a up things, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things that can change. And right now we predicted uh just just above two dollars a square foot. Who knows? It might be two forty. Yeah, you know, we might we might be happily surprised. If the trends that have been happening continue, um, seems more likely than not. Yeah. So the, I mean, that obviously looks favorable. Mm-hmm. Um, so hypothetically, if, if you're all in for say three or $4 million, then you could be a 300 to $400,000 profit margin. Is that kind of what you're, you're thinking? I, yeah. those are just made up numbers obviously, but yeah, yeah, okay. no, but it, it's, it's not far from yeah. the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and yeah, I mean, we'll see. Yeah. And that's why a lot is going to be depending on the evaluation and when it comes, what it right. comes back at, and then we'll update our model. And then we have yeah. basically till end of mid February for the end of our 90 day due diligence. And by then we'll okay. decide. Okay. Yeah. I like the way you've structured that. I mean, giving yourself the time while the owner still owns it so that you're not buying it when you don't have a contingency plan for it. I think that makes a lot of sense. And mm-hmm. did you work it out with him that if you you'll give him access to these studies, if you don't proceed? He didn't ask and I didn't volunteer. Oh, okay. Well, he, he may not want to know. That, that's the other thing, right? Because if he if you disclose it to him, then he now has to dis- disclose it to new buyers. Like say you did find something. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's probably why he didn't ask. He probably doesn't yeah. want to know. And, and there's also an important part is that we had asked him obviously to provide us the environmental study. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, well, I'm not going to do it. If you want to do it, you can do it. So again, that was in the offer. You know, that's another 5K expense for us. Mm-hmm. And we told him that whatever happens, and he agreed to it in the offer, is that he's got to deliver us a land that is free of contamination. So should we okay. find contamination, he's responsible for the cost of decontaminating. Yeah. Is it near anything that you think would have contaminated it? No, it's a very residential area. Yeah. Is this that there's train tracks about... I don't know, 200 meters away with very little traffic, but yeah. still it's not particularly industrial. There's no, there's no leftovers of, you know, any types of factory or nothing that we found. And I obviously mm-hmm. looked at the map of contaminated lands for the city and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't appear on it. Oh, there's a map of contaminated lands. I've not seen that. Yeah. Well, That's uh, for, cool. for the city of Montreal. Yeah, yeah there is. Very cool. Um, it's good to be able to have that inform- information. Now, one thing we haven't mentioned, but it's in the background there is you have your, uh, you have a real estate podcast as well. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I started that la- actually during uh, last year in 2020. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually a f- little bit of a funny story, but you know, during, during confinement with my wife, we kind of faced real estate talk withdrawal. Like we didn't really have anyone to talk to anymore <laughs> or as much as we used to. And at first I started a meetup every second Tuesday from eight mm-hmm. to 9 PM. And it was just on zoom. And we just introduced ourselves, ch- talked about real estate and try to help each other and so on. But then every time we hung up, like 
like the content I was going to say would go away. And I was like, how could we, you know, actually have, have this stay and be able to share it with others and um, started a podcast. And I've throughout the real estate journey, I've been meeting so many people that actually have an interesting story to share as, as investors or been meeting some real estate professionals that are real experts at their niche. And I always thought like, wouldn't it be great to create mm-hmm. a platform where we can interview people and then other people can learn from it. I've listened yeah. to hundreds of hours of podcasts and I wanted to give that, give that opportunity to other people. And there is almost nothing in Quebec. Yeah. Like I don't, hear much from Quebec. Like uh, it's hard to get information on it. I don't believe that their uh, real estate information is shared as much either. So in terms of statistics for the market and such, uh, never quite as easy to find. So Mm -hmm. on that note, um, what are you seeing there? I mean, it's probably similar to the rest of Canada, but I mean, in terms of what's happening to property values year over year and um, you know, where you're seeing opportunity and where you see opportunity kind of being more of a challenge. Okay. There's People who say oh, prices are so high, there's no opportunities. They're just not looking properly. There's opportunities everywhere for multiple reasons. One, and I find this one is still underlooked, is the, I was going to say the generational change that's happening now. There's still a lot of elderly owners who, hey, it's time to move. It's time to sell. And there's old properties coming on the market that have been usually that have a fair amount of deferred maintenance. And that's, you know, opportunities for you and me. Now, during obviously a year and a half, there is a lot less immigration. So there's been a big shift here in the local market where a lot of tenants were able to move and not necessarily find rent that was cheaper, but they've been able for the same price to go from a one bedroom to a two bedroom. So that that allowed for like a redistribution of tenants and units. Uh, and also like obviously pr- there's been a huge demand. A lot of people have you know, took money out of the out of the stock market and other investment. I've been wanting to replow it into something durable, and real estate is one of those asset classes. So there's a lot of money chasing deals right now. So I, I foresee that there's going to continue to be opportunities. Is is that margins have thinned because it's a lot more competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to. I wouldn't say work twice as hard to find good deals, but almost. Um, and, and and also you know, at least on the um, multifamily, it started to plateau a little bit. It's been increasing for the the last couple of years. And Mm -hmm. now like since this summer, it's been starting to slow down, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And it also corresponds to the interest rate increases, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's going to be interesting. And now there's also a lot of investors that have just been looking in urban centers, Montreal, Quebec City, Gatineau, Sherbrooke, uh, three mm-hmm. rivers and so on. And so now they're, they're actually spreading a little bit more. They're going to second and third tier cities just because a lot of people have moved out of those urban right. centers. And there's a lot of demand for smaller cities with good quality of life. Yep. So I know investors that are now going to, you know, smaller cities and developing some 12 unit buildings over there because there's demand. Yeah, it's similar to what's happened here then, really. I mean, people saw there was more opportunity in smaller cities, so they they transitioned. A lot of the smaller cities, like the prices have just been pushed up like crazy because mm-hmm. they were less expensive than the main city, but you know, that's the the pattern just keeps perpetuating and um and and then obviously everything's continued to go up and Mm-hmm. Who knows how, you know, I, I'd like to say there's no precedent for this, but there is, I think if we go far enough back in history and <laughs> it's concerning, but, uh, you know, yeah. what, we, we can't stop moving. We gotta, we gotta keep, uh, keep putting our money to work. So, um, yeah, yeah we'll keep navigating, but, uh, anyways, Axel, I'm, I'm saying that right. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, it's been really nice chatting with you. Where would we want to send people if, uh, if they wanted to follow you or learn more about you? Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. So they can check out uh, realestateeffect.ca. That's our website. Our podcast is called The Very Real Estate Effect. Uh, you can find it on um, Spotify, iTunes, and so on. And otherwise on Instagram um, or LinkedIn, wherever wherever they want. And you can just reach out and give me a shout. I'll be happy to, uh, to have a conversation. Any parting words of wisdom before we wrap up? Yeah. For everyone who's listening, in, investing in real estate is sometimes a little intimidating and scary. You just need to get started. It's not going to be perfect. Your first deal might be a little bit of a mess, but hopefully it'll get you addicted. You'll get a foot in the door. Take action. Awesome. Couldn't have said it better. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I'm glad that we've had a chance to meet and I'll look forward to staying in touch. Sounds good. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you on the next one.